0: Hey everyone, it's Amber. In 2019, I began work on a podcast series that explored how historically marginalized groups were underrepresented in the IBD space. The plan was to record episodes during the spring conferences of 2020 with a goal of publishing in the fall of that same year. As you already know, those conferences didn't happen. I pivoted to recording remotely and finally published the seven-episode series in the spring of 2021. What you're about to hear next is an episode of that series, which is called Healthcare Disparities in IBD. I'm the host and producer, but it's a different animal from about IBD with a focused topic and some voices that haven't been heard on this feed before. Much has changed since the production of this series in 2021, but our discussions are still relevant in so many ways. While working on this show, I learned more things than I can list, and I hope you get a little something out of it too. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Episode 5 of Healthcare Disparities in IBD. I'm your host, Amber Tresca. In this limited series, we'll explore how inequalities in the healthcare system affect people in racial and ethnic minorities who live with an IBD. For this episode, we leave the United States to learn more about how IBD is treated in the Horn of Africa. My guest is Dr. Fasika Shemalis-Tefera of Ethiopia. She is a medical doctor who was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. In Ethiopia, IBD is considered rare and patients face significant challenges. These include a lack of awareness about IBD, no access to gastroenterologists or other specialist care, few treatment options, and misunderstandings about chronic illness. Dr. Tefera was so affected by her disease journey that she founded a nonprofit, Crohn's and Colitis Ethiopia. She's working in her country to help people diagnosed with IBD find medical and emotional support. However, resources are scarce. It's my hope that bringing much-needed attention to Dr. Tefera's work will help connect her to the resources she needs to support more patients. From Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, let's talk to Dr. Fasika Shimalis Tefera. Fasika, thank you so much for coming on my show.
1: Thank you, Amber. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm really excited because you're joining me from Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. You are the only person that I know from Ethiopia. (laughs) And IBG is treated quite differently there than it is in, for instance, the United States. Mm -hmm. I wonder if we could start by your telling me a little bit about how your journey with Crohn's disease started, what your symptoms were like, and then what it was like for you to get a diagnosis.
1: My journey started around um, August of 2016. Um, I've been symptomatic for the past eight months or so, but I wasn't really sure. Um, It's very... um, there's a misconception that IBD is not common in our country, so I never thought about it. I didn't even go to a gastroenterologist until it was very, very bad. So I've had quite a journey in getting my diagnosis. And thankfully, it, w- it didn't take a year or so. Um, a lot of people here are treated with other medications. Uh, I did not go through that. I just waited it out. And then after eliminating all the other diagnoses, my doctor assumed it would be IBD. And so... Uh, with the colonoscopy, they were able to diagnose it. It affected my education in a bit. Um, but other than that, um, nothing major happened in getting my diagnosis. Thankfully, I did not have any complications or anything.
0: So tell me a little bit about your education and your educational background, because I'm interested if your background actually helped you in getting a diagnosis versus somebody who does not have the same kind of background that you do.
1: Mm -hmm. um i was in my fourth year of medical school at the time when i was diagnosed um after high school i i graduated in doctor of medicine just recently and my education actually worked against me (laughs) at first because like i said we were taught that ibd is not is almost non-existent in our country so i didn't think of going to a gastroenterologist, Um, didn't even think about listening to my body and listening to my symptoms. Um, So I actually suffered for about eight months before I got diagnosed. But thankfully, because of my medical background, I was able to notice all the symptoms and put the dots together and actually go to a gastroenterologist. And that's how I got diagnosed. So I guess in the end, my education did help me get to my diagnosis, but not at first.
0: What were some of the things that you thought, or maybe that your doctor thought that you had at first, what were the things that they had to rule out before they thought it might be IBD?
1: Oh, uh, they thought it was gynecologic related, like ovarian cyst. Um, I was treated multiple times for GI infections, bacterial infections, um, because I had fever. And so that's why they assumed. Besides that, they thought it was IBS and they told me to treat it in nutritional uh, ways, and also to relieve some stress, which helped for a bit, but then it came back again. But mostly it was just infections that I was treated for. Mm-hmm.
0: Is that because infections are perceived to be more common than maybe IBD is?
1: Yeah, definitely, because there's uh, we see a lot of cases of food poisoning um, because of lack of sanitation. Um, and so we see a lot of cases of infections. And so I would understand why the doctor would immediately think of Um, bacterial infection when he sees me having bowel movement um, changes and fever and such. And so I would have done the same thing if I was in his shoes at the time. And also I respond to the medications as well, even if it was just for a short while. So,
0: Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So some of the treatments, maybe the antibiotics actually had an effect on your symptoms, but then what happened when you would finish your course of antibiotics?
1: I think maybe a week or two weeks, I would have total zero symptoms at all. And after that, it would slowly start to come back again. The pain, especially, um, I I don't think that never left. But the bowel movement changes and the fever, it subsided with the medications. And after that, after two weeks or so, it came back again. And so I used to be treated for the same uh, condition again, uh, maybe twice in one month. Um, because they were very convinced that it was infection, that um, I may have had some kind of antibiotic resistance or something. Was that frustrating? How did that feel? Oh, it was very bad. Um, first off, the fatigue, I, I could not describe it. It was terrible. And medical school is very tiresome. Um, it needs 110% of your focus and also your energy. So I couldn't study. I couldn't sleep at night. Um, and so after trying everything uh, was uh, at the point of the colonoscopy um, examination, I was praying to God to just let the doctor see something because I was frustrated of being treated for something and not being that and not getting any relief. Um, and so it was affecting my personal life. It was affecting my education. And so I, I was really frustrated.
0: So was that a relief then to get a diagnosis? Even though it was a pretty scary diagnosis. Uh,
1: definitely. At first, I, I was so happy because at least they found something. They could actually see something that they can treat me for. And then I stepped back and I realized that this is a condition I've never heard before in Ethiopia. And so how are they going to treat it? Um, be, I, I was thinking because it's rare that they couldn't find it at first. And so at first it was relief. But after that, the shock came in when I actually digested the diagnosis.
0: As I'm sure you know, IBD is considered very common in the United States, in Canada, Mm -hmm. in Australia, countries like that. Mm -hmm. Is it considered rare in Ethiopia, or is that a misperception, do you think?
1: It is considered rare. Um, Like I said, in medical school, we're all taught that it's uh, a disease of the Western countries and the developed countries. Um, So we rarely find it here in our country, and so... Uh, we just learn it as part of the medical education, but we don't really focus on it, and we were told not to focus on it as well. Um, and you're right, it's very common in America, and people have uh, the level of awareness is very different than it is here. Uh, patients don't really know, the doctors don't know. It's just gastro- gastroenterologists that are now trying to gather information and let people know, and other doctors know that this condition is c- increasing. Um the research done in Ethiopia dates back to 20 years. I think it was around 1990s that the last case report of Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis was published. After that, nobody has written anything about it. And so um, the medical world assumes that it's almost non-existent in our country because there is no evidence to back it up.
0: And how about some of the symptoms that you were experiencing, but if you were mm-hmm. having change in your mm-hmm. bowel movements, how is that dealt with when, when you go to see a physician, you also mentioned that they thought it was gynecological in nature at first.
1: Mm -hmm. Is that common? Yeah, definitely. Um, But not at first, at first they um, tried to treat it with medications, like I said, but then they started to think that it's uh, um, nature caused or psychological or gynecological because it started to correlate with my stress levels and menses um whenever i would have exam it got really worse that i had to see a doctor and so they started assuming that i was doing that to get away from the exams um and also but i couldn't explain it myself because i was going through that pain more when i was under stress and so Mm -hmm. um, at first they thought it was some sort of an infection but after that they started to look for some other conditions um and also fabricated, <laughs> they assumed at first, because I was ha- I was having pains whenever I would experience something stressful. Um, and also the gynecological part, it's because they found the ovarian cyst on the left side. And so they would assume the right side would also have a cyst that I- they couldn't see um, because I was having pain on the right side. And so they would try to correlate all of that. But for all of the eight months, I have gone through a lot of doctors and they all came up About what different diagnosis not related with IBD, even though my symptoms were typical for Crohn's disease at the time with the weight loss and everything.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I'm not a physician, but it seems to me that an ovarian cyst shouldn't really cause weight loss. Yeah,
1: definitely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You came up against a bunch of challenges in Mm -hmm. getting your diagnosis. What are some of the other challenges that patients with IBD face in Ethiopia and uh, really in
1: your part of the world? Well, like I said, first is getting into the diagnosis. Um, Like I said, I was lucky enough to go to a gastroenterologist before any major complications hit, but some are not fortunate uh, enough to see a doctor. And so the lack of awareness among the medical community in our country and also in the other developing countries makes it difficult for patients to get a diagnosis or get a good ultrasound, just looking for the right places because people wouldn't assume um, that IBD is actually existing in our country. And so that's the first challenge, I believe. Um, And after that, lack of medications is another challenge. Um, I would usually have to buy a year supply of uh, medications when I'm starting another, when I'm on a flare up because I know at some point it's going to be off the market and I couldn't, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to find it. Um, and so that's another big challenge. And besides that one that I could really relate to is um, in the workplace. People don't really understand. Um, I used to be accused of not working Um efficiently because i would have to go to the bathroom a lot more times than my colleagues especially around my flare-up i had constant flare-ups every now and then i was never off medications until i finished my medical school and so during internship it was very hard because people could not understand even after my diagnosis and i was around medical people and so they would actually know the symptoms but they couldn't relate to me and so nobody actually cared um And so that was really hurtful in a way. And also the psychological aspect of it, um, since nobody understands it, it's very hard to be around people that wouldn't relate to what you're going through or at least um, have some sort of understanding. Um, And so that was hard. Other things are financial reasons. The medications are very pricey here. Um, And so some other patients face financial problems when buying medications because it's a chronic condition. And so their families don't understand, their friends don't understand. And so when they're spending that much money, nobody is supporting them. And so that's one of the reasons for falling out of the treatment and uh, wanting to stop the medications. Um, so that's another challenge that I've seen among patients that I spoke with um, in Addis Ababa.
0: And what's it like for patients to talk to their work colleagues, to talk to their family, to talk to their friends, and to say to them, to say the words, Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease or I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, and these diseases are not well known, there's not a lot of awareness. What kind of things? do patients experience when they try to open these conversations with their their family members and pe- people that are close to them when the disease is not well understood?
1: Yeah. I was speaking to a f- friend of mine that's also a patient. Um, she's been living with Crohn's for the past seven years. Um, and she was telling me that her husband did not understand what she told him at first. And so because of the weight loss symptoms and also the fact that it's a chronic condition, n- needing a chronic uh, long-term medication, he assumed it was somehow related to hiv And so it caused a lot of problems with their marriage, um, a lot of problems with their kids, and she wasn't able to explain it to her parents as well. Um, so I've met people who had difficulties in explaining. It's better for people with medical backgrounds because they can explain it better. Um, but for people that don't understand the medical terminologies themselves and they don't understand why it's chronic or with the symptom of a minor infection with fever and diarrhea, why why is it chronic? Um, and so they don't understand it themselves to explain it well to other people. And so that's the challenge they've faced. And since it's chronic and they have to, they have to take a lot of medications for a very long time, it's hard to explain those things to their colleagues.
0: You were diagnosed, and you obviously went through many of these challenges and saw that there was other people that were facing them. So you decided to create a foundation in order to try to promote awareness and then help patients that needed better resources. Can you tell me a little bit about Crohn's and Colitis Ethiopia and what the work that you're hoping to do?
1: Yeah, um, that was initially started as a support group. I was a founder of Crohn's and Colitis Ethiopia because I was looking for a support group in our country. It took me a year and a half to actually grasp, um, the con, the concept basically that I have to live with Crohn's disease for the rest of my life and the medication side effects and everything. And so once I got used to it and I accepted it, I realized other people would, especially those with, um, no medical background would not be able to understand as much as I have had to understand it. And trying different um, nutritional uh, supplements and um, also understanding the medication side effects and what to expect and what to do for colonoscopy and such. And so I decided to start a support group, but then people did not want to come up and talk to me and also gathering groups because they were ashamed of having IBD. Because like I said earlier, it's thought to be something else in our country uh, by most people. And so I was not able to... Support create a support group, and I was just doing a one-on-one conversations and counseling. And so later, as after speaking with uh, different gastroenterologists, um, we decided to create an organization just to for it to be a formal way of introducing IBD and also making it creating awareness to among our community in general, and also especially among the medical society, and letting them that letting them know that it's Incre- it's increasing in number every day, um, and so just for that reason, we started it, it was officially registered as a non-profit in January 2020, but we were actually helping patients and talking to them since 2019. What we're hoping to do is create a better understanding and better awareness, and also for uh, patients with IBD and also their families to know that there's there are people here in Ethiopia living with IBD and doing well. And so I wanted people to know that they're not alone. That's the first and main thing. And after that, um I'm encouraging people and researchers to come and do research in our country so that we would have evidence to show policymakers um, to focus more on IBD and also other noncommunicable diseases in general. And so with that being said, after research, I'm hoping to have... Um, talk to pharma companies and make medications more available and also increase treatment options for patients because there are only oral medications in our country. And so I want to also introduce biologics as per needed. And so all of that would come after research and knowing how much, how many patients are in our country living with IBD.
0: Right. And you mentioned that the only research that you were able to find about IBD in your country was case reports and they were quite old. What type of research are are you looking to do or are you hoping that your government will sponsor in regards to IBD?
1: Census, that was what we've been talking with um, other doctors actually. We don't have uh, an updated number of incidence reports and also prevalence in our country. And so knowing the number of patients that are in our country and also associated risk factors would be a great help in giving a better understanding about IBD and our society specifically. And so I feel like that's the first step towards creating something and also um, producing evidence, whether it's lifestyle um, or something else. And also patient's perception of the the condition and their families would also be a great research topic, I believe, because that's a way to tackle um, people falling out of the treatment uh, options and going for traditional and other medications and also uh, alternative treatments. Um, and so since one of the um, problems that we face in our country is people not believing that they have a chronic disease and stopping medications after a year or so or if after they stop feeling anything so i feel like if we find out the reasons why people are stopping their medications and not believing in their doctors and their treatments that would give us a way to strategize on how to educate patients how to educate our community and what the condition is and how to which areas to focus on basically on giving patient education and advocating And do you see
0: a role for hospitals, physicians, for pharma in all of this? How could these other groups help the patients that are in your country, do you think?
1: Uh, Regarding physicians, um, gastroenterologists are doing an amazing job here. They're very well informed. Um, They talk among their association in general and talk about upcoming cases and such. And so I feel like our strong point is on our specialists and um, GI clinics. They have a very good organized um, record system of recording patients and their locations, their phone numbers and such. And so that would be a great point to start for research purposes. But other than that, the general practitioners are the people, are the physicians that people see first because they are in abundance and also they're found everywhere. Gastroenterologists are very, rare in our country. Um, and also localized in the city. And so uh, when we're talking about physicians, um, educating GPs like me in medical schools and telling them that non diseases such as IBD is prevalent in our country and it's increasing in number would do a lot of good because even if they can't do colonoscopy, if, even if they can't um do any of the treatments, they can refer them to gastroenterologists or even do a basic ultrasound or laboratory tests um, and have a better understanding about the condition and who to screen for what. Um, when it comes to hospitals, if we had more hospitals in the rural areas, that would have been great because I don't know a lot of um, hospitals doing colonoscopy, endoscopy, any GI clinics, specialized GI clinics um, outside of artists, It's very rare. Um, so most people travel from rural areas to the city for a long time um and also they find challenges in renting places and everything and so i feel like hospitals if they can decentralize a little bit that would be good Uh, but the pharma companies is one of the major uh, players here uh, because i like i said earlier the medications are very rare and also the few medications oral medications that are found here are not readily available all throughout the year and so when patients find at some point that they're having, they're having a flare up. They can't find the medications they need. And so they would ultimately have complications. And I've seen patients have complications that needed surgery because they couldn't find any medications. And I've seen patients die from lack of medications as well. And so even if we can't find biologics and other medications, at least the basic preninsulum, azoteoprin and such, if they're more, avail- more readily available in our country, it would do a lot of good and it would do a lot of change in a lot of people's lives. Um, besides that, any other advocacy companies, organizations outside of Ethiopia, the, I've only heard of one, which is in South Africa. Besides that, there are no other organizations in Africa that I know of. Um, and so any other countries, advocacy organizations, if they were to collaborate with us and Work on it since we are a newly found organization and trying to break the barrier and do something new in this country it would be good uh, in collaborating because, like you said, in the U.S., Canada, and other countries, people are very aware of IBD. and so that means they've had a lot of a long year of experience that we could learn from, and also they could implement some of what they've learned during their journey here, and so I believe that would also play a good
0: right i agree with you i was thinking about it today before we got on this call together and it occurred to me that the understanding and the treatment of ibd in ethiopia is perhaps 30 years behind what it is in in countries like the united states and canada
1: yeah if not more yeah if not more
0: Fasica, If I were to come to your country, mm-hmm. what are some of the places that you would want to show me?
1: <laughs> um, well, most places that are to be visited are not in the city. So, oh, interesting. <laughs> I, <laughs> I would definitely take you um in one of the rural areas. I don't know if you've heard about it. Lalibela. Um, it has a lot of old churches. Um, lots of places to see. And that's definitely the first place I would take you because it has lots of history and our background, especially how Christianity came to our country and the backbone of our history in general. And so I think that's the first place I would take you.
0: I was looking up documentaries because I wanted to learn more about your country. Okay. And I believe I found one that was about the churches in that area. Mm -hmm. So, it it wasn't exactly what I was looking for at the time because I was looking for more about uh, your culture and people and things like that. But now that you say that, I think I'm definitely going to watch that documentary. Yeah, you should. Definitely. Fasika, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and tell me all about what it is like to be diagnosed with IBD in Ethiopia. And also thank you so much for the work that you're doing for the patients there. The challenges that you're facing, especially with your unable to sort of do a support group like we do here, you're, you're sort of reaching patients singly, one by one, and it, it has to be so time consuming. And you're also taking a lot of emotional burden on. And yeah. so on behalf of the IBD community, I just want to thank you for that. And thank you for talking to me and explaining it all to me.
1: Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: IBD is an emerging disease in Ethiopia and other African countries. For patients, Dr. Tafara has been a lifeline of information. You can support her work by following Crohn's and Colitis Ethiopia on social media. On Facebook, you can find them as IBDETH. Their website is IBDETH.org. You can also follow Dr. Tufera on Twitter as at Dr. Fasica. I will put links in the show notes as well as more information on IBD care in Ethiopia. Thanks for listening. I'm Amber Tresca reminding you that healthcare is a human right. Disparities in IBD is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by me, Amber Tresca. Theme music, mix, and sound design is by Cooney Studio.